Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. It'll be Oregon State and Utah in a Pac-12 game here at Research Stadium. Bill Riley, he is the voice of Utah Athletics. He is with us, ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City. But last night, Bill was at the screen door in Portland. It's his, it's his go-to. When did you? How did you find screen door? It was probably John. And by the way, it was thanks. Thanks for having me on. It was the the Burnside location, which I think is the original. Um, I, I, I we were in town for basketball. I can't remember if it was Utah basketball. Or it was RSL soccer playing the Timbers probably six, seven, eight years ago and just kind of stumbled on the place. And the first time I saw it, there was a line around the corner, so I knew it had to be pretty good. And I waited because I didn't have anything else going on that night, and it was fantastic. And then subsequently, I every time I come to Portland, if I'm here more than a day, I definitely have dinner at, at, at Screen Door, so All right. it was fantastic. I had the fried chicken last night, the collard greens, the mashed potatoes. I like the jambalaya. It's really good. Um, the, the sides are good, too, but I, I opted. You can't get great fried chicken in Salt Lake, so I opted for that at Screen Door. You're making me hungry. All right, so get, you should have, like, a website where you have, like, Bill Riley's picks, and anytime like, fans are going into different Pac-12 cities or college football towns, across the country that they can find your place. What are some of your other favorites when you go to, like, other cities in the conference? Well, my other – Screen Door's a top three in the Pac-12, which is, again, why this whole conference dissipating is going to kill me. I'm going to have to learn <laughs> a bunch of new restaurants in the Big 12. There was a place called Cafe Pocacosa in Tucson. It was right in the heart of downtown Tucson. It only sat about – 20 or 25 people, and there was no menu. It was made every morning. The chef would go to the market and come up with the menu on that very day. So you could go into Cafe Pocacosa and not have any idea what the – every time you went in, it was something different because the chef came up with, like, 10 menu items every time, and then you could do the dealer's choice where the chef would make you – uh, two of the items and bring it out on a plate. So I love that place too. Uh, I'm trying to think of else. The Sink in Boulder is fun because it's kind of a classic place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Robert Redford worked there as a uh, busboy or something. There's some kind of. He history. did. Yeah. He, he did. Um, trying to think of. Oh, there was a place in Cor- in uh, Eugene that's now closed. It used to be called Papa's Soul Food. Okay. And it closed four or five years ago. It was an unbelievable soul food place. In, uh, in Eugene, of all places. Um, it was really, really good. And then there's a place called um, the uh, 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 Culinary Dropout. Okay. There's two or three of those in the Phoenix area, and I go to the one in Tempe when I'm down there. So those, right. are, those are a few Bill Riley road favorites. All right, all right. I'm headed to Salt Lake City when the Ducks are there later, uh, I guess, next month. But So where's my go-to in Salt Lake City? Uh, go-to for breakfast is the Park Cafe. Uh, owned by a good buddy of mine. Everybody and anybody. You could sit next to the governor at a small table some morning or or maybe next to Will Hardy, the coach of the Jazz, or some – I mean, it's one of those places where anybody and everybody are, are there for breakfast at a given time. Um, for dinner, if you like good Mexican, there's the Red Iguana. 
Okay. Very, very good. Outstanding Mexican food. And then there's a place downtown that I like an awful lot called Copper Onion. Okay. So you're staying downtown, kind of an eclectic menu. All right. And I'm just telling you, John, I, I told you this before, but I have a beer named after me, a local brewery what? named a, a beer called the Riled Up Red Ale. All right. So we'll get you a Riled <laughs> Up Red Ale when you get to Salt Lake City. Yeah, and you are riled up on air. I've been uh, at multiple games where I look over <laughs> and you're calling the game and you got the vein going in the side of your neck and you're you know, calling a big play. Um, hey, look, these two teams, uh, always uh, a, a physical game. Kyle Whittingham and Jonathan Smith both talking about trying to establish the run game. What are you expecting tonight in this football game? I'm expecting that Utah is going to have to throw the ball more than they have. I just think that Oregon State is going to come out and dare them to throw it. And I think they're going to have to throw it. That's what UCLA did a week ago. Utah got conservative when they had that lead. Utah's defense was so good. I mean, it was just so good that they, they knew that Dante, Dante Moore wasn't going to be able to do anything about it. So they got ultra-conservative midway through the third quarter. I don't think they're going to be able to do that tonight uh, against the Beavs at Research. So I think they're going to have to throw the ball more than they have at any point in time this year. Um, on the defensive side of the football, I, you know, I think that they're going to load up and try and stop the run. I mean, because what you have here is, you know, the irresistible object of the immovable force or whatever that happens to be. Utah giving up 51 yards on the, on the, on the ground a game and, and Oregon State rushing for 225, 227 yards a game. So I, I think, you know, we're going to see. I think the Beavs will try to run it early. I'm not saying Utah's not going to try to run the football, but I think Oregon State's going to dare them to throw it early. So I think they'll probably have to throw it a little bit. One of the things I've really been impressed with is Utah, you know, had more than missing more than just Cam Risen in, in the early four games. Like he Rising's out, you know, and there were other defensive players out, you know, missing a tight end, running back gets banged up. And what struck me was the seconds who come in, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, there wasn't a big drop off. Uh, am I reading that right? That like the, the depth of Utah's defense is just really impressive. John, you saw it firsthand in that very first game when you were there for the Florida game. That's what a lot of this season has been. I mean, we've seen it building. Utah doesn't quite recruit at the level that SC and Oregon do. But over the last five years, their recruiting and, more importantly, player development from the guys they recruit has been unbelievable. They are so deep. And I thought that win against Florida, they were missing eight starters in that game. I think five on off, four on offense, four on defense. And, and that win was a testament to it. And really, some of the other wins have been this year, too. They haven't, they haven't been close to 100% yet. And, frankly, they won't be 100% tonight against Oregon State either. But, um, again, it, it's a combination of depth and talent, but it's also – when you've been to four straight Pac-12 championship games and you're the winningest program over the last six years in the conference, there's just a winning culture within it. And, and they'll find ways to win games because that's what these guys are used to doing. So um, it, the depth and talent, though, is really, really good. Bill Riley, ESPN 700, Salt Lake City, the voice of Utah athletics. And he's our go-to when we want to talk about Utah. Kyle Whittingham, uh, you know, he's been there forever. He's got, you know, Andy Ludwig on the uh, offensive side of the ball. Great staff on both sides of the ball, really. But they, I, you know, I, I pointed this out, I think, on your show, that they've really had to MacGyver it this year with all the injuries. I kind of think Kyle Whittingham, while he would prefer to be at full strength, he likes the chess match. He likes the ability to get in there and kind of tinker a little bit and try to find some matchups. What happened in the UCLA game? Because 
I was shocked at that 14-7 score, but it didn't surprise me that Utah found a way to win. Well, first of all, it was one of the best defensive performances, and there have been a lot of them, and you've seen a few of them, John, that Utah's had in the last decade or so. They were some Morgan Scally's game plan, and again, some of it, Dante Morris was making his third career start. So there was some of that, too. Or I'm sorry, Dante Moore, not Dante Morris, the quarterback for UCLA. They, they just got after him. But Utah, they were, they were because the defense was playing so good, they got the pick six on the first play of the game. And then they got another touchdown. They're up 14 nothing at halftime. And it was very apparent they were in control. So they just went uber conservative. They just ran the football at seven- and eight-man fronts and played the field position game because they've got another one of those great punters like they had with Hackett and Wisnowski. This kid, Baumeister, is another one in the line of those great Aussie punters. And they just played field position and defense and didn't, you know, didn't really challenge their freshman quarterback to make a lot of plays. And uh, so they, they, they kind of went that way with it. But like I said, I don't know that that particular game plan is going to be able to be executed tonight at Reeser Stadium. The, the Cam Rising injury and the recovery, obviously it's taken longer than a lot of us expected. And do you get a sense that over the last three or two or three weeks in particular that there's been any frustration or is everybody still kind of just patient with where he is and when he is 100 and ready to go, he'll go? I mean, I, I think, I don't know if frustration is the right word. I just think there's just the, the sense of the unknown week to week because he's getting better and stronger and we're hearing that and he's practicing and taking first team reps. But I think there's just a, a level of, of the unknown. And because of that, I think, may, may, I, I, again, frustration, I haven't seen it outwardly from players or coaches. Maybe there is some because you'd like to have your QB one back. And the, uh, the thought process was he'd be back by now. But here, here's the funny thing, John. You know, the thought process of him being back by now was based upon hope and his hope and, and the very high end of recovery time. He's, he's just right now, just past the eight-month period of having surgery. And most people say it's anywhere from six to nine months. So he's kind of in that sweet spot right now. If he was going to play early against Florida, it was going to be on the very, on the very early end of the recovery time. So... I think right about now is about the time that's about right for most people recovering from an ACL. This uh, Oregon State team, what scares you, or what should scare Utah when it looks at Oregon State? Well, I mean, Utah, remember that game two years ago. Utah's in control of that game. And then the blocked punt that Musgrave scooped and scored changed the momentum of everything. And as good as Utah was for the first half of that game, they, they forgot how to tackle. And Oregon State just played bully ball with, I can't remember, it was B.J. Baylor then, and I can't remember the other back who was in then. May have been Pierce. Anyway, they just, they just got the momentum on their side and rammed the football down their throat. Utah's been good against the run. They, they held Florida, who's a good football team, to 13 yards rushing. They held UCLA, who's a good football team, with Chip Kelly to nine. But you're going to have to be on your game. This is, this is the best offensive line Utah will have faced. UCLA and Florida don't have an offensive line like Oregon State. So, uh, you know, as much as Utah likes to be physical up front, so does Oregon State. And, and I think that, I mean, you, you know this, maybe DJU isn't quite what he was expected to be coming out of high school, but he's still an upgraded quarterback over what Oregon State's had in recent years. 
And I know he's been a little inconsistent throwing the football, but I still think he's better than most of the quarterbacks Utah has faced in recent years for Oregon State. So I think there's a passing component uh, that maybe Utah didn't have to worry as much about in some of the last meetings. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out, like if I'm Jonathan Smith, because DJ has, he's looked okay. I mean, he's looked good against inferior competition. He looks like he is holding the ball a little too long and waiting for things to be open instead of anticipating. He doesn't look comfortable all the time. But you're right, he's still a huge upgrade over Chance Nolan and and uh, Ben Gulbrandson and some of the other passers that Jonathan Smith has had out there. I'm wondering if Aiden Childs, the true freshman, gets some reps. Jonathan said that you know he's going to start DJ, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little change of pace. But I, I, you tell me, Bill, like, is this Utah defense a defense that you want to trot a freshman, a true freshman, out there again? You know, given what Dante Moore did a week ago or didn't do for UCLA. Well, I mean, they trotted Ben Goberson out there last year by because they had to, and he threw three picks. I don't know, but that was a Rice Eccles Stadium. You know, maybe at home with the home crowd behind you, maybe situationally, yes, but it would seem a curious spot against the best defense in the league who's playing its best football right now to try to give Aiden Childs his first real meaningful reps. Wouldn't that seem an odd spot for you, too? Yeah, I just, you know, and I think, he, you know, he's seen some time. They brought him in in the San Jose State game and let him play a real series, and he drove him right down the field. But but you're right. Like, I, you know, I could I could see him being used as a change of pace, give him a series here or there, and give him some plays that he can handle. But I, I wouldn't want to see, like, this being his first start. Like, you don't roll a guy out against the Utah defense, and we saw what happened last week with UCLA. Um, and who do you have? Who do you have in Vegas at the end of the year? If you had to pick now, based on what you've seen through four weeks, who who do, who in your mind has the inside track to get to Vegas? I, I'm going to stick with my preseason pick, and I'm not pandering to the audience here. I picked Utah and Oregon before the season, and people laughed at me. I picked Utah because I know when Cam Rising's there, they're the two-time champions, and I think they're the most rounded team in the league. And I know Washington's improved. SC has to show me something they haven't so far. I said this on my show all week long this week. The best offensive team in the Pac-12 right now is Washington. The best defensive team in the league right now is Utah. The best all-around team, based on what I've seen, is Oregon. And so I'm going to stick with Utah and Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, at least for now. Are, are you buying Washington, or, or do you need to see them play somebody? I'm buying their offense. But I, they haven't played anybody worth a rip on de, that, that their defense has been challenged by. And I'm not really sure they've played anybody worth a rip defensively either that's really been able to put any pressure on Michael Penix. So I like them a lot, and they're fun to watch. But remember, John, they went 11-2 and a year ago without having to play Utah or USC a year ago. So I'll, I'll just, again, I think they're really, really good. And Utah's got to go to Seattle in November to play, which will not be easy. You know, that's in the midst of that conference-wide round robin where Utah, Oregon, USC, Washington are playing each other over the course of, you know, three weeks. Um, but not right now I'm, I'm not buying them as the most complete team. I think the Ducks are the most complete team. If Cam Rising comes back and he's the Cam Rising or close to it that we've seen, I think Utah and Oregon are the most complete. Again, we've seen we're a third of the way through the season, John. Is anything different in your mind with USC? No. They look like the same team we saw a year ago. All we heard the whole offseason was Alex Grinch, second year, they're bringing in better players. They still score a bunch of points. 
They, they gave up 28 a week ago to a team that was shut out the week before by Fresno State. Arizona State was shut out by Fresno 29 nothing, and they put 28. Now, they never threatened USC, but my point is, I don't think USC's defense is markedly better or any better than it was last year. Is Utah waiting like I think Oregon was waiting to play Colorado, and I think USC is waiting to play Colorado? Is there any of that sentiment in the fan base, coaching staff, that you think Utah would uh, welcome the opportunity to, to suit up against Colorado? No, I don't get that. I mean, that's not really Kyle's MO. They play him the last game of the year, too, and there hasn't been much smack talk back and forth. I, I think the fans all around the Pac-12 are tired of hearing about Colorado. I know my fan base is. People, when I mention them, I get a million text messages on our text line telling me to stop talking about Colorado. <laughs> I'm like, well, they're, well, they're a story. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, I mean, what he's done, he's a, he's a great promoter, and he's done some nice things. But Right now, I mean, at the end of the day, I think they're going to be a lot better than I thought they would, but I don't think they're challenging for the league. I think they're probably a six or seven win team. Don't you? Yeah, and I, I, I think I think less than seven. I, I have them at five or six because I, I think they're going to go three and six in conference play. I think I think they can get maybe Stanford, Arizona State, maybe Arizona, depending on what happens with Arizona for the rest of the way. But I don't see a real win beyond those three that's out there for them. And I think it could be a really long year. They don't have the depth. Like we talked about depth for Utah. Colorado doesn't have it. It's, it was right. evident. The drop-off as Oregon started to beat them up a little bit, the drop-off in their seconds and thirds is, is a big drop. And I think I'm curious to see how healthy they can stay. And if they lose Shadur Sanders at any point, you know, they, they can't run the ball. They are one-dimensional. And if they lose Shadur, then they can't pass. And so I, I kind of – they're not that far from like being a one and eleven team if they don't have that quarterback, you know. And and he's a good player, but that's kind of where they are. Before I cut you loose uh, and uh, looking forward to this game, obviously tonight, I I got to ask you about Damian Lillard. There's a lot of Lillard fans in in your listening yeah. audience, Weber State kid. Uh, wh- what was the reaction? Lillard getting traded in your in your market? Um, it, it was a, a little surprise. I mean, I think they were still. I think the longer this went, you know, there was a lot of talk early. You and I even talked about it, I think, on each other's shows about maybe the Jazz. The Jazz had so many assets that I think if they really wanted to make a play for Lillard, they could have put together probably a package even better than what the Blazers got now. Certainly, I didn't think the Blazers did great on the draft pick side of things. And, again, comparing it to what the Jazz did with Gobert and Mitchell last summer is unfair because Ainge leased those two teams. But I think people were – I think they're probably happy he didn't come to the Western Conference because there is still an affinity for him in, in Utah and in Salt Lake City, and he has an affinity for that place, too. He comes back a couple of times a year, does camps at Weber and stuff like that. But but I don't think that Jazz fans as of late really had any, were harboring any illusions that, that Dame was going to become a Jazz man. So I think they're probably just happy he went to the East and didn't go someplace where they'd be rooting against him in the West. Yeah, and I think – you know, Utah had the assets that Portland fans wanted. They had all those draft picks, but I got to think that Lillard's age and the $216 million owed on his contract play a role in Utah going, no, nah, we're good right now. Yeah, if the Jazz were maybe a year further along in this, and they, they, they surprised a lot of people a year ago, and I think they'll be a good playoff team this year, but maybe if they were a year further along, you might think about it with some, seeing how some of these young players are developing. But I think those last two years of the contract where he's up over $60 million, 
and not knowing where they are exactly yet, knowing they're better. I mean, if they would have been a playoff team last year with some of the additions they made, and then you could say, okay, Dame Lillard makes you a top three team in the West or a top two team. I think you could think about making that move because they still had a lot of assets. But just missing the playoffs and still trying to figure out who some of the young core is, I, I just don't think they wanted to bring that in at his age and knowing what the contract was going to be at the very end. Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Good luck to you. Utah, Oregon State ahead. Thanks, Bill, for joining us. Thank you, John. My parting thoughts from Reeser Stadium coming up. You got the BFT statewide. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.